Your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. And I love if he says why. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and overcome. Do you ever, ever, ever uh, identify with that? you ever felt like you're struggling with God and with people? <laughs> right? <laughs> like your faith, you're just like, ah. Oh. But I've overcome. What a gift and what a promise. Well, let's talk about Jacob. Because Jacob was an interesting fella. He had, uh, he had a couple different identities in his life. And uh, first to understand these identities, let's talk about his story. Jacob was the uh, second oldest of twin, so like barely second oldest. And he was a child to Isaac, who was a child of promise, patriarch of the faith, gifted with this amazing promise of God, so much so that Isaac's brother had to you know, move out. Ishmael, right? Because he was this child of promise. He followed God. He was the one whom God said, I'm going to bless the world through your children. And of course, Isaac, child of Abraham. I mean, he has this heritage of faith. He's, he could look back. He couldn't meet his grandparents because they were all really old and dead. So that's hard to meet them at that point. But he has this heritage where he could look back and see that his, the reason that he lives where he lives is his family is clinging to a promise. A promise that had not been fulfilled yet. A promise made to his really old grandfather that you're going to be a great nation. You're going to have so many descendants that you can't even count them. And yet he's living in a tent with his dad or like a group of tents. His dad's are there. You can count him. And, and uh, eventually you can count himself and his brother. That's three. Not so much beyond measure at that point. They said, you're going, to be, you're going to be a nation. Everything that you see will be yours. And yet they, they live as wanderers, nomads and tents, moving around between cities. And there's these kings that keep intimidating them. They are not the nation yet. He's living in a family that clings to a promise that has not been fulfilled in three generations. That's where he grows up, but a family that follows God. And yet God's blessing was still upon them. They prospered. They were wealthy. They had, they had happiness. They had a place as far as they, had, they could move around and they had uh, the land, everything that they could want. And whoever was against them, God was certainly against. That was true. And whoever was for them and blessed them, God certainly blessed. And though they were nomads, they enjoyed a certain level of peace that most nomads didn't enjoy. They didn't live inside walled cities like most of their neighbors, and yet they lived without fear. So they enjoyed some of the benefits of this, but they had not yet seen the promise yet. Now, even before Jacob was born, it was an interesting thing. Uh, his mom, just like his grandma, had a hard time getting pregnant. But unlike his grandma, his, his mom, all his dad had to do is pray. Just, he prayed once. He prayed for his wife and boom, has a child. Isn't it cool? God sometimes answers prayer like that. And then as she's, she's pregnant, Rebecca has, has these, these children, realizes it's not just one in her belly. And the reason she knows that is because they start fighting each other. And she's like, something's not right in this general area, Lord. Something right around here. It's not okay. What's happening? And God answers her and says, well, the reason that your belly's all going all over the place is because you have two nations inside of it. Uh, they're they're going to be living at enmity with one another. going to be strife. And uh, the, the younger one is actually going to rule over the older one. And she knows that. That would be kind of a strange thing from God. And she's like, well, that, can't they just get along? But they couldn't. They had a hard time. Well, Jacob's born. 
All right, before you really, as a person, make a whole lot of decisions for yourself, you would think well, that's pretty young to be making decisions for yourself to really identify who you really are. But Jacob, when he was being born, he uh, grasps onto Esau's heel as he's being pulled out. And so they named Esau Esau because he was hairy, and that's what that means. He's all a hair all over him, so they named him Harry. And then they named Jacob uh, uh, Usurper, Heel Grabber. So can you imagine them? You know, Isaac, here are my boys, my twins. This is Harry, and he's like, Harry, <laughs> well named. And then, and this is Usurper. <laughs> like, that, how awkward. It's like a funny sitcom, I would imagine, they're a home. Because these boys, as they grew up, they kind of, they fit the stereotypes. They really did. I mean, Harry was like a manly man. Uh, he went out, he was hunting all the time, going to do stuff. The man smelled like a goat. And we know that later on in his life. We'll discuss that. But, I mean, he just was a tough dude, right? And he was all burly and does stuff. And his dad really liked him. He's like, that's my boy. Go get some go meet some meat. Now, Jacob was more the HDTV kind of guy, right? He's always at home. He's cooking. He's decorating. He's hanging out with mom, you know, <laughs> staying inside the tents kind of thing. Nothing wrong with that. But he was good. He was a good cook. And so the two of them were very different. And, uh, but he was the youngest, and Harry had, had, had the, the uh, portion of the, uh, they call the, the right of being the oldest. And it's not like in our society where, you know, like parents will just basically give their favorite kid, you know, the biggest portion of the inheritance, right? Back then, if you were the oldest child, you got a double portion. So they would, they would look at whatever the parents own, and they would say, all right, half of it goes to the oldest, and the rest gets divvied up. That's huge. And, and so, uh, you know, or if you had two, like they did, they would say, whatever the youngest one got, the older one would get double that amount, two-thirds. That's a big deal, especially if you've got a lot of money like they did. That was pretty significant. Well, uh, Jacob, little usurper, what did he do? He uses his brain, and he realizes that his brother, Harry, is tough but not so smart. And so he makes a, a great meal, a lentil soup of all things. Does that tell you how good of a cook he was? Because his brother comes in from hunting, and he says, I'm hungry. Give me some food. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I've got some really good lentil soup right here, but it's going to cost you. If you sell me your birthright, I'll let you have, I'll let you have a bowl of soup. And he says, well, I'm going to die here if I don't get the soup. Ah, okay, fine. And gets it. How amazing is that? He uses this kind of usurping deception this he's a conniver and he gets this 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 right that wasn't really his but he gets it well time goes on and, and things don't go any better it's a um, his dad isaac gets older and starts losing his eyesight and i imagine his sense of smell and just a good sense of common sense because of this story it's it's phenomenal uh, Isaac's getting ready to die. He knows he's going to die. He can't see things very good. So he calls in his son. He's like, all right, I'm going to pass the blessing on. I received the blessing from God, uh, from my father, so I'm going to pass it on. And so he calls in Esau. Esau, come in here. Go, go out and hunt and go get an animal because I like that wild animal stuff. That's good. And I want you to go kill it and I want you to prepare it tasty just like I like it because he's getting his last meal, right? He's getting it all set. And uh, go out and do that. Then you come back and I'll give you my blessing. And so you'll get to be the promised one. Uh, and so Esau goes out into the field and he goes, do this. Now the mom hears this. Rebecca's like, oh, that can't happen because the younger one is going to rule over the older one. Plus, 
I like my HGTV son much better. And so as the older son goes out, she says, Jacob, come here. I've got a way to trick your dad. Okay. And if this doesn't tell you a little about both Jacob and his family, this is crazy. She says, well, let's go kill a goat. And then I'll, I'll cook it up all tasty like your dad likes. And then, so they take the, the goat hair off the goat and they put it around his hands, Jacob's hands, so that he would look hairy to his dad. Like they put it, they dress him like a goat. And that worked. And, and, he's, and the thing is, have you ever smelled a goat? Yeah, you don't forget that smell, do you? Just kind of ruin Chevron for like the rest of your life. It's like, it's just a unique kind of, of, of scent. Well, that must be what Harry smelled like because uh, Jacob goes back in with the meal and then he presents it and he's like, wow, that was fast. And he says, oh yeah, God blessed me. And then he says, wow, well, make sure that it's really you. And he gets close and he smells him and he says, oh, it smells like my son. It smells like goat, <laughs> right? So... Esau needed a bath. And then he feels his hands, right? He takes his hand. He feels the goat fur on the hand. And it's like, oh, legit, this is my son. Which makes you wonder how hairy Harry really was. <laughs> but nonetheless, he gets the blessing. And then trouble starts. That's when the trouble starts. Because then Esau comes back and Isaac realized that he had been deceived. And the blessing had been wrongfully, in his mind, given to the wrong son. He'd been tricked. And Esau is upset by this because he gets a really lousy blessing. Now, you wonder, like, Jacob couldn't give him something nice. But he basically says, oh, it's going to be woe and doom for you. And it's going to be bad. But someday you're going to throw that yoke off of what your brother is going to do. I mean, this is a, this is a bad blessing. Really not so much of a blessing. And uh, so Esau is upset. And the thing about Harry is he wasn't just, he was good with a bow and he's a tough dude. And Jacob knew he was outmatched, and so he was afraid and was going to run away. And his parents, his mom and his dad call him in and say, okay, well, you got the blessing and all this, so we can't let your brother kill you. And, uh, and the parents were like, don't leave here and go find another wife because your brother is marrying these girls from this area, and they are driving your mom nuts. They are just crazy women. Get a different gal. Go back to your ancestral homeland. Find a wife there. And so the brother hears about this and he tries to marry another gal to make him happy and it doesn't work. But Jacob is now on the run because his brother Harry is going to kill him, like legit kill him. And so he takes off and he's leaving town. I mean, he's hightailing it away from the promised land, the place that for generations his family had stayed based upon just a promise. He's leaving, even though he carries the promise with him. And he stops on the way out of town and he picks up a rock and he lays it down because he's tired and he likes really firm pillows apparently and he sets it down and he lays his head on it and he falls asleep and God meets him there. And in this dream, which was more than a dream, he sees heaven open and the stairway right there where he's sleeping and angels are going up and down it. And he sees God Almighty standing at the top of this and God speaks to him and says, You... You're mine. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to bring you back to this land that you're fleeing from someday. And someday, that promise that was passed from your grandfather all the way down to you, that promise will be fulfilled. Mark my words. You're mine. And he wakes up the next day. And he leaves and he goes 
back to Haran where his family was from. And he ends up working for his, this guy who's got a pretty daughter and a less pretty daughter. And he works for her and he falls in love with the pretty daughter. And he says, and he says to that guy, hey, I would like to marry her. And the dad's smart. And he says, all right, I'll let you work for me for seven years for her hand. If you work for me for seven years, you get to marry her. And then that romantic passage, you know, Jacob worked and it seemed just like a day to him because he was so in love. I'm sure there were days it felt more like longer than that. But I think in general, he was, he was in love. And the wedding night comes and, and they must have done things. They must have had veils or something. And they must have done these things and really like, it was dark because his father-in-law tricks him. And the less than pretty daughter, who was the older daughter, uh, he marries him to Jacob or her to Jacob. They get married. And the next morning, like after the wedding ceremony, Jacob wakes up, looks, he's like, Whoa! this is not what I worked seven years for. And the deceiver was then deceived. He was connived. He was beat at his own game. And he was upset. And he goes to his father-in-law and says, what's the deal? I worked seven years. And the father said, well, it was technicality. You know, I hate those things. But she's the older daughter. We can't be marrying off the younger one before the older one. You know how these things work. But if you work another seven years for me, then you can, marry, you can marry Rachel, whom you love. So, can you imagine being Leah? Like that, his father-in-law says, hey, listen, give her your, your new wife, give Leah at least a week that she has her honeymoon, and I'll let you marry the other one, and you can work for me another seven years. So Leah has this awesome honeymoon, I'm sure, the whole week, like, I wish you weren't you. I got tricked, right? It's not of her thing. It was just this hard thing for her, and she knew in a week she was going to be replaced, it was just this difficult thing. But, uh, Jacob ends up marrying uh, Rachel, whom he really did love, and he works those next seven years. And over those next seven years, he gets back at his father-in-law. See, God was going to bless those who blessed him and curse those who cursed him, right? And God's good on his word. And uh, he, he was doing ranching at the time. And if you can imagine anything further from being a, a, a guy who works in the home, right, I would think that ranching would be like, that's pretty tough work. So God's having him out of his comfort zone. He's working that. He's already done it seven years. Another seven years, he's there and he says to his father-in-law, hey, listen, uh, I've got an idea. Um, so that way you never accuse me of stealing anything of yours. How about I take all the spotted sheep that nobody wants and you get all the pure sheep, all the ones that are just like perfect and right, all the goats and sheep that are nice and pure. You get those. I'll get all the ones that are spotted. And the father-in-law says, hey, that sounds good. I'll get the valuable ones and you get the not valuable ones. Sounds like a good deal to me. And then Jacob, that, that conniver, what does he do? He goes in and he, I don't know why this works. It's one of those mysteries of the Bible. He takes palm branches and he cuts them up like strips and stuff. And he puts it in front of the water troughs. And all the, the goats and sheep start to have babies with patterns on them, with markings on them. And so, his, so Jacob's flocks begin to grow. I mean, they begin to multiply like big time. And his father-in-laws didn't. And eventually he becomes wealthy really, really wealthy. And God shows up on his one day and says, it's time to go back. It's time to go home. And so he packs up his family and they leave. They go back to the promised land. He left as, as a guy on the run, as a child, as a deceiver. God met him there and said, you're, you're a child of promise, but he still, he goes, now he's coming back and he's wealthy. And he's coming back into the promised land, but he's still afraid because Harry's still there. And Harry too, also gained a lot of wealth and had a lot of power. And he's afraid because this guy wanted to kill him. That's why he left. And so what does he do? Well, what any rational guy would do, he divides up his stuff and he takes the things that are first. He's like, least important, 
uh, like some of the servants that I don't mind if I lose. They're nice. And some flocks and things that are nice, but however, we'll give us a gift. So 400 of them sent out first, and they're going to go meet, they're going to go meet Harry. And if Harry destroys them, then we'll all know to run. Okay? But just in case, we'll set up the, my second, like the, the second favorite family, right? The kids and the wives that are, eh, I like, you know, I love them, but not as much as, you know, Rachel. And uh, we're going to send them in the next group, and they're going to go up there to, to meet Esau. And, uh, and if Esau doesn't destroy them or accepts them, then we know we're good. And if he kills them or takes them as prisoner, then we know that at least my favorite parts of my family are going to be safe. And so that's what he does. And so then you have three things, three families, and he tells them this is the plan, and he sets them off. And then he goes, and uh, bef- the night before they're going to walk to go meet Esau, he spends a little time alone. And God ambushes him. And they start wrestling. And he wrestles with God all night long. Amazing thing. And at the end of the night, getting ready to leave, God hits him in the hip and makes him walk different for the rest of his life. And, uh, but also gives him a blessing. And the blessing is what we just read. God said, I'm giving you a new name and a new identity. It used to be called Jacob? No. Now you're Israel. Because you have struggled with God and people and have overcome. And after that, Israel comes into his land and possesses it and lives there in peace for quite some time until his son eventually saves him from a famine, which we'll talk about next week, and brings him down into Egypt. Now, that is the story of this man. There are three major identities that we find in his life that affect how he lives and how he operates. And I think that you'll find they're actually not so different than what we can identify with ourselves. The first one, so like his first identity was Jacob. Swindler, I think, was the best, uh, most common uh, uh, translation to Jacob today. Heel grabber, usurper. But swindler has the, has the has this twist to it, which I think is, was really there. It's not that he just wanted to be a a replacement, but he was really good at tricking people to get what he wanted. He could be a good conniver. And he got that identity before he even knew that he did anything to deserve that identity. Right? He was being born. And that's where he gets it. In Genesis 25, 25 it says, this talks about how he and his brother were born. It says, the first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a Fur coat. I just love that. So they named him Esau, or Harry. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when twins were born. I mean, right when he was born. He didn't have a chance, right? A lot of us, I think, can identify with this, right? We get identities by things that happen to us. People, when you grow up in a, in a family or a, a small town or wherever you grow up, people have an identity for you. And they'll tell you, this is the box that you live in. This is who you are. And Harry, well, he's Harry. And Harry's going to do what Harry does, because that's what Harry is. And Harry's never made anything more than Harry, because that's what he is. And you, Jacob, you swindler, that's who you are. Right? You were a swindler from when you are young, and that's how you're going to stay, and that's, that's the box that we're comfortable with you to be in, and that's who you're going to be. And we all have that. I don't know, you might have grown up in a home that had a good identity for you. Maybe they said, oh, you're a super achiever. You're a super smart person. You're gifted. Anything you want to be. But you gain that identity. Or maybe you grew up in a home where it wasn't so good. Maybe you were told that you were ugly. 
you just weren't pretty enough. Or that you're not smart enough. You're not the smartest kid. Your other siblings are smarter. You'll be all right, but you're not smarter. So you're going to be a failure. Maybe that's the identity that you were given. Regardless of what your identity was, it was something that was handed to you. But it's something that oftentimes we embrace, isn't it? That's why a lot of times when people, they like to leave their hometowns or they like to go off to college to find like who they really are. Or why when they get into their middle ages, their 30s and 40s, they say to themselves, I have this crisis and they go do crazy things to try to find themselves. Who am I? But oftentimes we live up to this identity that people gave us. Jacob sure did. Right? He grabbed a heel when he was being born. It seemed like a benign thing, but the rest of his life, what did he do? Well, if every day you wake up and you say, hey, good morning, Mom. Good morning, Dad. Good morning, Swindler. You start to live like it. And that's what he did. And he connived and he did all kinds of things that got him into all kinds of trouble. And oftentimes we do that same thing. We own that identity that was handed to us. We feel that that is truly who we are, but that is not who we truly are. But that's who Jacob began with. But God had a different idea. God gives another identity. First time is, is when Jacob was leaving because his swindling, his identity caught up with him. He stole God's promise. You think, how is that even possible? Right? Like God is not all about lying and deception. He's like the opposite of that. And yet this guy steals and lies and steals his brother's thing. That's crazy. And it it catches up with him and he's fleeing for his life. And where is he going? This child of promise who stole the promise. That's what he did all this for. He's leaving the promised land. He's on the run. Doesn't even have a pillow put under his head. Got to sleep outside. Man, there's you look at Jacob and his life and you say, is that really our patriarch? Is this somebody we look up to and say, wow, the faith came through this man, this mighty man of faith. You look at him, you're like, wow, he's like a dirty politician and a coward. And God met him there in his brokenness where he recognized it wasn't working. And though Jacob had done nothing to really deserve it, God showed up. And opens up heaven. If I want to read this, this is such an amazing thing. Genesis 20, it starts in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped there for the night because the sun had set. Think about that. He was just running until he couldn't see. That's afraid. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head to lay down and sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw the stairway resting on the earth, which is top, reaching to heaven. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And there above stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are laying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. For I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. Jacob left on the run as a deceiver, as a swindler. But he met God and God said, here's a new identity for you. How about this? You're a child of promise. You are blessed and you are protected. That's who you are. 
And did he deserve it? No. But God in his sovereignty and his love said, met him right there. I am blessing you and I will bring you back. I will do it. It's an amazing thing. You think that, that Jacob walked with a little more swagger as he went into Haran? I think so. I mean, if God shows up and says, I have a plan for you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I have a purpose for you. My sovereign will is going to be made, it's going to come through you and the world will be blessed through you because I'm going to do it. And I will not leave you till it's done. If you have God say that to you, do you think that you have a little bit of peace? Yeah. But he still kept his first identity too, right? Because everyone still called him swindler. That's his identity. He went back, he went to Haran, met his future father-in-law there. Hello, who are you? Hi, I'm Swindler. Can I have a job? <laughs> Can you imagine? But he does. And he works there and he, he still acts in that conniving way. But he's blessed. God blesses him. And God keeps his promise and God brings him back to the promised land. I think it's often like for us. We were born with an identity and at some point we hear the gospel. And we recognize that we are saved, not because of anything we did, not because we're so good. In fact, in spite of the fact, <laughs> right, we, we are so bad that none of us deserve to be saved. And yet we were because God said in his sovereignty, in his love, I choose you. I love you and I have a purpose for you and I will provide for you and I will take care of you. You have a ministry in my kingdom. Should we walk with a little more swagger? Don't we? The hardships of life, they come and we know that, man, this life isn't going to take me down. Because even if I die, I get a new body. Even if I lose everything I have, you can't take away what is mine in the kingdom, which is huge in wealth. I have a hope that can't be crushed, taken away, stolen, or otherwise take, uh, stole, uh, tricked from me. Right? I, am, I am secure. God loves me because God loves me. And I can't change that, nor, and there's nothing I could ever do to change that. I am his child. And so if things happen in my life that are good, man, I see that they're good and I enjoy them. And if things happen that are bad, well, they happen. But you know what? I'm still a child of promise. And yet, despite all of that, oftentimes I still live according to my old identity. I still believe the same old things that were told about me when I was little. That dogged me all the way through. You're not going to ever be good enough. You're not going to be fast enough. You're not going to be smart enough. You're going to be small. Or whatever the things that you believe, we live up to that, don't we? And though we are children of promise, we live like the old person. But that's not the end of the story. You see, there's a time in Jacob's life, and I believe there's a time in a Christian's life as well, when the reality of a new identity dawns on us. And that's what happened. God gives Jacob a new identity. You know, we don't really say the Jacobites. I think it's interesting. We don't say like the Abrahamites or the Isaacians. I don't know what they would be called, right? This is the nation of Israel. We are spiritual Israel. He gives an identity, a powerful one. But look at this identity. And God meets him before he goes in the promised land. He is a child of promise and he knows this, but he is afraid. 
because he's been still living that same old person and it can't continue. And so here's, here's what happened. I'll read it to you. It's Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. It says this. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives. This is right before he goes and meets Esau. He takes his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and they crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled him till daybreak. I think that's one of those biggest question marks in the Bible. You're like, oh, okay, he's moving people and all of a sudden this guy's there and is wrestling him. It's like, I wonder if he just like crossed the river and all of a sudden God just like, came up behind him and was like, ah! You know, I don't know how it happened. But I, in my mind, I think that would be pretty funny. And so it's this. This man... Uh, uh, see, Jacob was left alone, and they wrestled their break, break. And when this man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that it, his hip wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. Now think about this. What had Jacob been doing his entire life when he, when he tried to do battle with things? What would he do? He would try to usurp. He would pull in like a little thing. He'd do a cheap shot. What does God do? I'll make you walk different. <laughs> try this out. Boom. But does Jacob give up? No, because God's bigger than the cheap shots, and he needed Jacob to see that he was too. And this. Then it says, uh, the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob replied, please tell me what is your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, is because I saw the face of God and yet my life was spared. You have seen, you have wrestled with God and humans and have lived, overcome. I think that's pretty powerful. You think it was a defining moment in Jacob's life. There was a new identity. Now, he was already a child of promise. God couldn't bless him with the promise. He was already given it to him, right? He had already given him that. But look what God taught Jacob through this wrestle. See, the Christian life isn't a stroll through the garden, is it? Right, we, it, well, it used to be that way, then we sinned. We kind of messed things up. It will be that way eventually when Jesus comes back. But right now, our faith isn't always a stroll through the garden. It's a wrestling with God, isn't it? And a wrestling with people. I mean, he is perfect in all of his ways. He does everything right. And yet, we aren't. We don't understand him. We have to trust him. He keeps his promises, but sometimes not in the way or the time or the place that we think he's going to. We wonder, God, where are you? How do I do this? You know, sometimes Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And we do. And he gives us all these promises. I'll protect you. I'll be with you. And we wonder, God, where are these two match? <laughs> where do they come together? And we have this wrestle going on inside of us. And it's like, God, who are you? But you know what? We don't let go. Jacob didn't let go. God said, all right, it's getting daybreak. We've had some fun. He's like, no, I'm not letting go until I receive your blessing. There is a tenacity to our faith that defines us, doesn't it? It says, God, I'm not giving up on you and give up on me. You'll notice this. God didn't walk away from Jacob either, did he? He wrestled. He allowed there to be the wrestle. And Jacob beat stronger through it. 
And at the end of it, there was an identity, a new identity. You see, we, we live in a world where all kinds of religions try to tell us who God is. They tell you that God is holy, and he is. They tell you God is powerful, a lot of them do, and he is. But we have a unique faith because we know that God is also loving and kind and personal. Ours is a faith that allows us to wrestle with God, not to be disrespectful, but to be real. And ours is a God who loves us enough to engage us in the struggle. Isn't that amazing? He allows us to engage with him and say, let's do this thing, this messy life together. Let's do it. It's not going to always be fun. Sometimes it will. Sometimes it will be hard. But I'm not leaving go of you, and he doesn't let go of us. And we wrestle him until we receive the promise, until we receive that blessing. God, that's an amazing thing. And we wrestle with people. This world is full of people. I don't know if you've noticed, but not everybody is nice. In fact, basically all of us at times aren't. And that's why my predecessor, I love you to say, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there. Why? Because you'll ruin it. Right? <laughs> and it's true. I would so ruin it. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. And we do these things and we mess with each other and we struggle with one against one another and we all have these self-righteous ideas of what we think is best because we're not following God and saying, what does God want? What does he think is best? And we struggle with people in this world and it's hard to love them sometimes and it's hard to forgive them sometimes and it's hard to find peace with them sometimes. But we will struggle with them because we love them. Because God says, I love them. And we will not give up on them. And there are people in our lives that are difficult. And we wrestle with. But here's the thing. We don't give up because God wins. You have struggled with God and with people and they've overcome. So your Christian faith is a hopeful faith. It's a powerful faith. It's a faith that identifies us in a whole new way. A way that is without fear. Can you wrestle with God and not die? Yeah, you can. He'll make you walk different. <laughs> but you can have that. He'll change you. He'll give you hope and peace. And from that time on, Jacob was not Jacob anymore. He was Israel. A name that we still carry today. Now here's the thing. All of us, all of us have been named. We have a new name. I don't know what your background is. I don't know some of your backgrounds, but it doesn't really matter. Because who we started is not who we end up. That's why Jesus said in order to be in his kingdom, you have to be born again. And that's not climbing into your mother's womb. It's a much deeper, more profound rebirth. It's where that old person who you used to be actually gets to go away. And the person who God is making you is born, fresh, new, without sin, not under this law anymore, but with relationship and perfection in God, with purpose, that you are a, pro a child of promise. You are a child of the king. But we have to take hold of this identity, this new identity. Now, who is it that God made you to be? Well, I'll tell you this. This identity is a person that's going to wrestle with God. There is no way you're going to walk this Christian faith if you do not wrestle with God. But here's the thing. You're going to live. You're going to overcome it. That wrestle is not going to push you under. You're going to be stronger in your walk because you're real with God. You're going to wrestle with people in this world. That's part of your identity, and you're going to overcome. You will. So we don't have to be afraid of it. God's people are going to be marked with by God. Sometimes it's, it's by our pain. God will allow you to go through things that seem like cheap shots sometimes because he's doing something bigger in it. And how you leave that and you will walk differently will be a testimony to his, pers his, his, his uh, presence in your life. 
and it'll be good. And the pain that we suffer are things that eventually someday we will praise him for. You will be marked by God. And sometimes you'll be marked by God, not by the difficult things, but by his blessing and his protection and his provision for you. And you'll be marked. But God's people are marked. And you're going to be given a new name and a new identity. The question is, are you going to accept it? I would hope that all of us, all of us would struggle enough with God that we could be marked and changed by his grace. So what do we do with this? We have an identity in Christ. Well, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And while they do, I would like you to uh, go into your connection card. And I have some ideas. First thing maybe this week that you would like to do is memorize that powerful passage in Genesis 32:28 that you've already got a really good head start on by the way you're welcome you have a new identity and maybe you need this week to go into that and not just know what it says but think about it what does it mean what does it mean for you what does it tell you about our God what does it tell you about how he works what does it tell you about your place in his kingdom and your faith Don't just memorize. Think about it so that God can write his word on your heart. Maybe that's what you need to do this week and spend some time recognizing that you do have a new identity and the person that you used to be doesn't need to control you anymore. That you have a new way to walk and a new way to live and a new purpose to live for. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you want to read Genesis 24 to 26. Why? It's a story of transformation of a real man who started out with... and. Talk about a lousy identity be handed. And you see him live up to that identity, and then you see God change him. If you want to see transformation and what it looks like, read this story from Jacob to Israel. Because you know it's that same story that God is writing in you. And sometimes it helps us to recognize what he's doing in our life if we see that it's been done before. And it's been done a whole lot for thousands of years. God's been remaking people in a new way into his image. So maybe that's what you need to do this week is read. See the process. See how God is at work and how faithful he is and how powerful he is. He can turn a deceiver into a man who can wrestle with God and live. Powerful. How about this? Maybe you need to pray this week. Maybe you need to commit to God's plans for you. Maybe you don't know what God's plans are for you because you haven't asked him. It's a good place to start. Tell you God, you made me. I'm here (gasps) taking breath. Apparently, you still have a purpose for me. What is it? Or maybe you know what his plan is for you, but you haven't been living it because it's kind of scary or you don't know how. And maybe what you need to do is say, God, if you have this purpose in me, then I'm going to trust that you have a plan for it. And I want to be I want to start doing this. Whatever you made me for, this is what I want to live for. Maybe that's what you need to be praying for this week. Not just once kind of flippantly, but asking God, crying out regularly, God, what is this? Let me live for your plan in my life. Search the scriptures as you do that. It's amazing how often God speaks to us through his word. And how about this? Maybe this. Maybe you decide that you're going to write out the ways you've seen God change you. Why? Because most of us, like children, and you see like a little kid, they don't ever think that they're growing. They just think everybody else is shrinking, right? And their clothes are getting smaller. And then all of a sudden they're big and they're like, hey, how did this happen? And you're like, well, a lot of things happened. We grow in Christ. And oftentimes we don't identify how God has changed us. And so we just take it for granted. But maybe this week you take a look and you say, who was I five years ago? 
or 10 years ago or 10 months ago? How have I seen God change me? Why? Because one, it's going to give glory to God for what he's done. It's going to build your faith. But it's also going to show you the trajectory of what he's doing in your life. You're going to see what he's up to so that you can join in it. Maybe that's what you need to do this week so that God can receive the glory and you can more proactively cooperate with him. Or maybe there's something else that I didn't even think of that you feel in your spirit. You know, God wants me to do this this week. Write it down because I'll be praying for you as you keep that commitment to him. What an amazing thing. Maybe there's some other um, commitment that you need to make or whatever. Write that down. If there's a prayer request, please let us know. Um, We've seen God answer some amazing prayers this year just because you guys have had the faith and the boldness to ask, and we pray for you seriously. So if you have a prayer request, write it down. That's one of the things a church family does. We we talk to our Father on each other's behalf, so do that. And here in a minute, I want you to take these green connection cards, and I want you to put them into the offering basket along with your tithes, along with your offerings, and make this one more gift back to God, a gift of your heart. Let's pray for these in our offerings. Father God, you are so good. You are amazingly good. And you are powerful. And you are ever-present. And that is just an awesome uh, truth that gives me hope. Because this world, Lord, it could use some present, powerful good. It really could. My life could use some present, powerful good. So I'm thankful that you're in my life. I thank you that you didn't judge me based upon what everybody else has done. That you don't see me by my old identity or any of us. But you see the real me. And you know who I was made to be. And you call me that and you give me the dignity of it even if I haven't earned it yet. Because I could never earn it. But you made it so because you are God. So thank you. Thank you for the promise of Christ. Thank you for the promise of everlasting life and the promise that your presence is here and you will take care of us. Your provision is with us. Thank you for that. But thank you even more, God, that you've, you've remade me into something better than I ever could have been on my own. Help us as a church to seize hold of that identity, to be the people you've called us to be, to work with you as you transform us so we could be the church that you designed us to be be a a beacon of hope and light and transformation and grace and love in this community and this world. Father, we pray for these commitments that are being made. Give us the tenacity to keep them. Let us wrestle with you long enough, Father, to be marked by your grace. And Lord, we pray too for our offerings, those tithes and those gifts, which are just an example, Father, that you constantly give us everything we need to live. You always give us enough to be faithful. So we bring back a portion which is already yours to build your kingdom so that we're not the only ones that receive this grace. And Father, may your kingdom be magnified and grown and grown in health as well through it. We pray these things in the powerful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.